0: Thank you so much, Dr. Adam Sikorski. What an honor to be with you. North Central, how are you feeling this morning? I am honored to get to be here with every single one of you. Hi, Tom. It's good to see you. Uh, he goes to River Valley. But what a joy to get to be here. And again, I want to thank Dr. Adam Sikorski and President Doug Graham and the entire North Central staff and team for the opportunity to be here and to sit on the Moen chair This fall, it's a joy, it's an honor, it's a privilege, and it's not something that I take lightly, and so thank you. I think about North Central and the legacy of this university. I remember being a student here, 2012 to 2016. I remember I sat up in the back stadium seating for chapel every day, but let me tell you, the Lord met me at this university. I remember on a Wednesday night worship service, I don't know what you would call it anymore, It's when you worship till like midnight on a Wednesday night at that time. Thank you, PG. It's still called PG. I love it. I remember sitting right there in the back uh, of this auditorium, and I was here as an elementary education major, and that's when the Lord asked me to move my major over to pastoral studies. I remember that was a leap of faith for me and a, a faith step that I took but I'm thankful that the Lord met me faithfully spoke to me while I was here and it's a joy to be able to be with you this fall but as you heard my name is Gabby O'Rourke I'm the lead youth pastor at River Valley Church uh, I've been at River Valley for seven years my husband and I have been married for seven years we got married right before I started he's actually here I saw he snuck in the back that's my husband Shane right there rolled in from work. What a supportive husband. What a good husband. Thank you, Shane, for being here. Uh, But Shane and I, we've been married a little over seven years. We have two kids. We're living in the thick of toddler life. We have our son, Brecken. He is four, and he is a firstborn. I've told this to every class, but he is a firstborn through and through. Any firstborns in the house? You're the oldest, Child, let's go. Then you know, and I'm sorry if this isn't you, but this was my sister, and this is Brecken. He is thoughtful. He is observant. He knows his stuff. He likes things done a certain way, in a certain order. He's sweet spirited. That is our son, Brecken, and we adore Brecken. And then we have Sailor. And Sailor is the classic middle or youngest child. Where are the babies of the house and where are the middle children? Let's go. I'm not surprised you're louder than the oldest children when they raise their hands. That is not a shock. I was a middle child. Middle children, we got to stick together, right? As a middle child, I remember growing up, I was highly competitive. Because when you're a middle child, you have to obviously be better than your older sibling, and you have to stay better than your younger sibling. So you're constantly competing with your siblings. I played soccer growing up. My sister played soccer. There was strong competition, a lot of times unhealthy competition happening in our family but sailor that girl she's going places she's always trying to keep up with her brother nothing phases sailor the other day we had like a beetle in our house Brecken's freaking out about the beetle. I'm freaking about the beetle. Sailor walks her little two-year-old self over the beetle, picks it up in her hands, walks straight to the sliding glass door, opens it, chucks it outside like it's no big deal. There was another bug in our house. She killed it and then tried to eat it without even thinking twice. That is Sailor. She is our strong-willed girl. She keeps us on our toes. Just yesterday, I was sitting outside with them and an ant went crawling past her foot. That girl stepped on it, picked it up, and started laughing at what she had just done. Brecken looked horrified. He's like, Sailor has an ant in her hand, mom. Have her drop it. That's gross. And Sailor's laughing hysterically that she just smushed this ant with her bare foot. This girl is a savage and she is going places. And we laugh at Sailor all the time and we make jokes saying, huh, I wonder where Sailor's sass and attitude comes from, because Shane and I both know that it does not come from him, and it fully comes from me. She got a double dose of my attitude and my sass. Again, as a middle child in that competitive spirit, we see it all over Sailor, and I remember as a kid growing up, I'm a lot like Sailor. I see myself in Sailor, I was bold. I wanted things done my way. I was strong-willed. I always knew what was better than my parents. And then I became a parent and realized I knew nothing, and I needed all their wisdom, and they were actually right about everything my whole entire life. It's amazing how that happens when you get married and have kids. But I remember as a teenager being strong-willed. And my dad told me that at night when he would lay me down to go to bed and I would fall asleep, sometimes he would come back in my room and he would say, God, you got to take this strong, rebellious spirit and turn it in to something that will be used for your glory. And are you thankful that the prayers of the righteous are powerful and effective? I am thankful for that. His prayers were powerful and effective. The Lord worked in those prayers. But he worked in those prayers in ways that I did not expect. He answered that prayer in a way that I did not expect in high school. I loved the Lord, but I was a student who had one foot in my youth ministry, in the word of God, in my faith, and one foot in what culture was doing, and my friends and the things of the world. But in all of that, I had gone on a missions trip, and I felt a stirring and a calling to step into missions or ministry. So when I graduated high school, I went and I did something called Youth with a Mission. Anybody ever heard of YWAM before? Let's go. I did YWAM. I was a YWAMer. And in YWAM, you do a six-month discipleship training school. The first three months is a lecture phase. You're taking classes. You're learning about the Word of God. You're growing in your faith. The next six months, what you're doing is you're on an outreach phase. So you're traveling around the world to do mission work. And in YWAM, they had different rules that you had to abide by. And one of those rules is that you could not date anybody when you started YWAM. And I thought to myself, oh, who cares? I'm 18. That's not going to be an issue. And my husband laughs at this story because lo and behold, two months into YWAM, I started dating somebody. And I got kicked out of YWAM one week before I was supposed to go to Uganda for missions work. And my dad and mom, this whole time, have thought things are going smooth in Australia. They're proud of me, they're cheering me on, they're praying for me. And I pick up the phone one day and I call my dad. And I say, hey, Dad, how's it going? And he says, hey, Gabby, so great. How's YWAM? And I said, it's great. Just one thing. Um, I got kicked out because I started dating somebody, and I now need a plane ride home in one week. Can you please help me? And my dad took a step back, is confused, disappointed, floored, but like a good dad, he said, Gabby, we will get you home from Australia. He got me a plane ticket. I came home. I remember I walked into my room. My mom had put flowers around my room. And my parents are the best. They, like, wrote me letters about my identity in Christ and how this doesn't define me and, like, all of these things. But that hit hard. I'm reading these letters sobbing in my bedroom. I'm a failure. I stepped out of ministry, the call of God in my life. I'm weeping. These letters are ministering to me. But like a good dad, after coming home and after a couple days, my dad sat me down and he said, Gabby, every person that you called and had financially fund you for YWAM, you're going to call and ask if they would like a refund because you wasted the money that they gave you towards missions. And so I'm picking up my phone. I'm 18. I'm shaking in my boots going, ah, hi, this is Gabby. Do you remember how you financially funded my trip to Australia? I'm home now. I got kicked out would you like a refund? And people were, were stepped, stepping back like, oh no, it's okay. Don't worry about it. Put it towards school. Like just very grace-filled. And I look back at that season of my life and that was the hardest, most refining, best season of my life. And it was in that season that the Lord answered the prayer of turning a rebellious spirit into a will that is strong for the things of God. Because in that season, the Holy Spirit had to put a mirror up to myself, and I had to look myself in the face and ask myself, who am I living for? What am I living for? What are my motives? What am I trying to do? Where am I trying to go? What trail am I walking? What hill am I trying to climb? Where am I trying to go with my life? And what I realized is that my life became about myself. And I was stamping the name of God and the will of God on everything I was doing. But it was never about God. It was about me. And it was about travel and opportunity and Gabby's name and Gabby's platform. And the Lord had to shake me out of that and open my eyes. And it was the first time in my life where I truly felt repentant. And where I truly felt an understanding of my need for God and that it did not matter what I did for the kingdom of God if I did not love the Lord and devote my whole life to the kingdom, devote my whole life to Jesus. I could not walk the path of ministry with one foot in the world and one foot in the word of God. And in the same way, North Central students, you cannot walk the path that God has for your life and have it be about you more than it's about him. And I want to ask you this morning, what hill are you climbing today? And who is that hill for? And I want to turn with us to Psalm 24, 3 through 6. And this word has been stirring and burning in my heart, specifically for North Central for the last three months. I was in a worship service, and I felt like the Lord brought today to mind and stirred this scripture within me. Psalm 24, it says, who can ascend The hill of the Lord. And who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart. Who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. He will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who seek him. Who seek the face of the God of Jacob. North Central, what hill are you climbing today? Would you pray with me as we get ready to jump in? Lord, I thank you for this morning. God, I thank you for the power of your word. God, I thank you that it's the word of God that is living and active. That it's the word of God that is sharper than any double-edged sword. It's the word of God that convicts, that encourages, that trains, that builds up. So, Lord, would your word go forth today, and would you transform us in the process? Would we walk out of this room this morning more in love with you than when we came in? In Jesus' name. Everybody said amen and amen. Well, are there any hikers in the room? You love to hike? You love going on a hike? Let's go, let's go. I'm Minnesota born and raised. So, for me, hiking is more or less like a glorified nature walk, right, unless you go to the mountains, well, I remember I was a student at North Central and I was dog sitting somebody's dog and staying at their house. And it was a Saturday. I decided I wanted to go for a hike or, in other words, a glorified nature walk. And so I went to a park called murphy Hanerhan Park. If you've ever heard of it, it's about 30 minutes south of here in Pryor Lake. Well, murphy Hanerhan, what it is, is it's essentially just trails. You're walking through the woods and you can follow these trails and there's little paths and maps that show you where you're going. And so I get in the car, I throw my phone in the car, my shoes in the car, I throw the dog in the car, and off we go to Pryor Lake to hike. And I start on this trail, and I start walking, and it's beautiful out, and it's late afternoon in the fall, and the trees are orange and yellow, and leaves are falling, and I'm just enjoying myself on this walk. Well, as I'm walking, I'm starting to realize it's getting a little bit later, and I don't really know where I'm at on the trail. And so I start looking for the map, and I start to follow the trail, and I walk a little bit further, and I'm starting to realize I've been walking for a while, and I'm not confident I'm on the same trail as when I started. And so I pull out my phone to try to get my bearings and figure out where I am, and my phone died. And that is when I started to panic a little bit. And so I keep walking along. And I'm telling myself, no need to panic, Gabby. You're just on a nature walk. You're on a trail. It'll lead you back to the parking lot. You're in Pryor Lake. What could possibly happen to you in Pryor Lake? And so I'm walking along. I'm noticing it feels like dinner time. I'm hungry. The sun is starting to go down, and I'm starting to get nervous. And so I look through the woods, and I see through the woods there's a neighborhood kind of up on a hill. And so I veer off trail. I walk up the hill through the neighborhood with this dog in tow. I get to a gas station where I can get a phone, and I can call my mom. And my mom picks up, and I said, Mom, I am lost. I was walking and hiking at Murphy Hanrahan. I don't know where I am, and I need you to come pick me up. And so she figures out where I'm at. She picks me up, and what I realized... Is I had been walking for three hours straight, and I had gone from the city of Pryor Lake all the way up next to Buck Hill in Lakeville, Minnesota. That's how far I had walked. And if you know that path, it's about a 20 to 30-minute drive from Pryor Lake to Lakeville. I walked it for three hours. The dog next to me was almost dead. It had no water. It's panting. I This is an older black lab, and I'm thinking to myself, oh, my gosh. I will have killed the very dog that I'm dog sitting because I couldn't figure out the most simple trail in Prior Lake. And I didn't have my phone. I didn't have the right shoes on. I didn't prepare myself for the, for the walk, the path that I was taking. And what I thought would just be an easy trail to walk and would be a fun thing to kind of fill my cup that day, I found myself lost without even realizing it. I don't even know how I got off course. I don't even know how I started on one trail, ended up on another, and was up at Buck Hill. But how many times does that happen to us in our walk with the Lord? We start walking the path leading toward Him and His kingdom and His righteousness, and somewhere along the way, we look back at our life and we realize we've gotten off course. And we did not even know how we've gotten there. You see, right now in the church, I'm watching people in the church taking multiple trails, climbing multiple different hills in their walk with the Lord. And they maybe started on a trail and a hill that's climbing the hill of the Lord, but somewhere along the way, they got themselves onto a different trail. And I think the most common hill that I'm seeing people walk is the hill of self where the hill they're walking and the trail they're climbing is all about their feelings, their emotions, their desires. They are their own idol, and everything they do revolves around themselves. I'm watching people walk and climb the hill of culture where everything they do is about fitting in with the world and I wanna fit in with what culture says is right and they get their beliefs and ideology and truth from social media and politics and friends and you name it and the hill that they climb is all about culture. And so when culture changes, they find themselves on a different trail climbing a different hill. Probably the most deceitful hill that I watch people climb specifically in the church is the hill of ministry, calling or promotion where you start on the trail that leads you to the things of God, but somewhere along the way, your profession or calling or ministry becomes an idol in your life. It becomes your identity. It becomes about you. And you're doing things in the name of God for yourself. And that's where I ended up coming home from YWAM. And I see a lot of students and a lot of people in the church take this path. And when I get to the end of my life and I look back, I want to say that I climbed the hill of the Lord. And that as I climbed the hill of the Lord, I did so with clean hands and a pure heart. North Central, what hill are you climbing? What trail are you walking? And have you prepared yourself to climb the hill that you're on? Because you see, when it comes to ascending the hill of the Lord, our hiking tools are clean hands and a pure heart. You see, the word of God, when it tells us who can ascend the hill of the Lord, what the psalmist is saying is who can come up to the mountain of God, who can be in his holy place. And he tells us how. You can do it when you have clean hands and a pure heart. And how do you have clean hands and a pure heart? Don't worship what is false. Do not swear deceitfully. It's simple, but how many times do we all of a sudden find ourselves worshiping false idols that are good but not God, and we don't even realize it? And it leads to a place of being deceived and climbing the wrong hill. You see, Jewish writers think that this psalm was written by David at the time when he went to go get the ark of the Lord from the house of Obed-Edom. And if you know the story, you know it's in 2 Samuel chapter 6. And what happens is David, he decides he wants to go get the Ark of the Lord, and the Ark of the Lord is first at the house of Abinadab. And the house of Abinadab is up on a hill. And they called that hill the Hill of the Lord. And for David to go get the Ark of, the, the Ark of God, the Ark of the Covenant, and bring it back to Jerusalem, the city of David, he would have to ascend the Hill of the Lord to get the Ark and bring it back. And so what does he do? He brings men, they ascend the Hill of the Lord, they bring a new cart, They put the Ark of God on the cart, and they begin to descend down the hill to bring the Ark of God to the city of David. And what happens? The Ark falls. And as the Ark falls, a man named Uzzah sticks out his hand to stabilize the Ark, and he dies. And David is angry, and he's upset, and he's fearful. And so he leaves the Ark at the house of Obed-Edom. And over the course of time, David begins to see that God is blessing the house of Obed-Edom. And so David decides, I'm going to go back and I'm going to bring the ark back to the city of David. He's going to try again to ascend the hill of the Lord, so to speak, and bring it back to the city of David. But what he does is different. You see, to understand why Uzzah died, you have to go back to Exodus 24, I believe, in Numbers 4. Sorry, Exodus 25 in Numbers 4. In Exodus 25 and Numbers 4, the Lord gives instructions for how the ark is supposed to be handled and carried. And those instructions are that the sons of Aaron are to carry the ark of the Lord. And that if the sons of Aaron touch anything unclean and unholy, they will die as they carry the ark of God. And why would they die? Because sin cannot stand in the holiness of God. So they had to cleanse themselves, purify themselves. What does David do? David sticks God on, an ar- on a cart with men who are not the sons of Aaron pulling it. David's intentions were good to get the ark, but as he's climbing the hill of the Lord, he did not prepare clean hands and pure hearts to carry the ark of God. And so what does he do? He goes back to get it again from the house of Obed-Edom, and what's the difference? He has men ready to carry the ark. And every six steps they take, they sacrifice a fattened bull and a calf and they're singing and they're dancing and they're worshiping and celebrating. And as they enter into the city of David, David is worshiping with all his might that his own wife looks down from her window and looks at him with disgust. But David is willing to get more indignified than this in the presence of God because he was worthy of purity of worship, of whole devotion, of complete obedience. You wanna know how to get clean hands? and a pure heart how to not pick up false idols and swear deceitfully we obey the whole word of god out of pure worship to him you want to know how to walk the right trail and ascend the hill of the lord you walk in obedience you do not look to the right or to the left you follow the whole word of god and you do so with clean hands and a pure heart students, what hill are you climbing? Do you have the right tools? Are you prepared to climb it? You see, to ascend the hill of the Lord, it's a lifelong trek until the day we stand in the holy city of God face to face with Christ. And at the end of my life, I want to look back and I want to say that I ascended the hill of the Lord. And I did so with clean hands and a pure heart that flowed out of my obedience and love and devotion to God. Be you see, obedience, cleanliness, purity, it will take sacrifice. It will take worship. It will take a willingness to say, I'll get more indignified than this in my worship and praise and full devotion to the Lord, despite what culture says about me, despite what the world thinks of me. Because I'm not trying to climb any other hill other than the hill of the Lord. And God invites every one of us to make this climb. It's not reserved for missionaries and pastors. He says, you call on my name, would you ascend? Would you climb? But, but you got to do so with clean hands and a pure heart. The invitation is open to everybody, but how you ascend matters. It takes obedience, purity, cleanliness. Why? Because the higher you climb, the closer you get. And I don't know about you, but the closer I get to the Lord, the more I have a revelation of God's holiness and my sinfulness and need for him. And I'm thankful for the blood of Jesus that makes me righteous. And I'm thankful for the blood of Jesus that continually purifies me. You see, I'm made holy by the sacrifice of Christ on the cross, and I'm being made holy by the sacrifice of Christ on the cross. It's a daily audit, a daily check, a daily question, a daily looking in the mirror to say, Gabby, what hill are you climbing? Are you obeying? Are you following? Are you worshiping wholeheartedly? I'm going to invite my worship team to come up right now as we get ready to close. And as we get ready to close this morning, maybe you're in this room. And you would say, Gabby, as I've been pursuing the things of God, I've been at North Central pursuing my vocation or a future career, a calling that God's given me, I've realized that somewhere along the way I've started climbing the wrong hill. I've been climbing the hill of self. Maybe of culture, maybe of ministry in your profession. And today you're saying, I'm going to get it back on the right trail. I got to get back on the right path. You see, David was a man after God's own heart. When he ascended the hill of the Lord, that was not in question if he loved God. David loved God as he went to go get the ark of God. But David veered off of the word of God in the process. You can love the Lord and get off trail. And it's the kindness of God that shows you the map for how to get back. And the map looks like laying yourself before the Lord to say, God, I've been disobedient and there's been some impurity and uncleanliness in my heart, but I surrender to you today and I'm getting back on track. And so as we get ready to worship, would you stand to your feet all across this place? And if you would say, Pastor Gabby, with every head bowed and eye closed, would you, if you would say, Pastor Gabby, this is me. i got to get back on the right hill and i got to get the right tools Clean hands, a pure heart that stems from obedience and pure devotion to the word. Would you slip a hand in the air for me wherever you're at? I see those hands all across this place. And right now as we get ready to go into worship and as the worship team leads us, before we close, I want to invite you to begin to move towards the front during worship and lay things at the altar that you need to lay down. Some of you need to lay down the idol of ministry and your profession and your career. Some of you need to lay down the idol of a platform and the hill you're climbing about yourself. Some of you just need to say, God, I've gotten a little bit off course and I'm shifting back. I'm getting back. I'm getting fully rooted in you again. And so right now, with every hand lifted to heaven and a sign of surrender as we pray, I'm going to pray over us this morning, and if your hand was lifted, I want to invite you to move towards the front and take the next couple minutes to lay those things down and start climbing the right hill again. And so, Lord, we love you. God, we love you. Lord, we want you. We don't just want what we can do for you. We don't just want our name plastered somewhere. We don't just want opportunity. We're not looking to just check the box on a career. God, we want you. We want whole devotion, hunger, purity, love. God, I think about that verse saying, such is the generation of those who seek you. God, would there be a generation that rises up that seeks the Lord above all else, that seeks your righteousness, your goodness, your face, that forsakes all other things to seek the Lord. So God, we come before you today. We lay things at your feet and we start climbing the right hill. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. You can begin to move down to the front for a couple of minutes as we worship together, as we surrender before the Lord and allow him to move in this place.